0: Hello, welcome to Under the Skin. This week I spoke to John Ronson, the always intriguing journalist and communicator, great storyteller, brilliant man, fascinating, open and honest and I think you'll enjoy this interview with him. I've had quite a lot of conversations with John over the years and he's um, obviously been through some stuff which he talks about in this podcast and I enjoyed it, well I did enjoy it because he got a bit upset but it was uh, an authentic and emotionally very real experience with John so uh, I hope you'll enjoy it as as much as I did Well, actually I don't really care about it in comparison to how much I enjoy things I just hope you enjoy it in your own way perhaps you enjoy things differently more or less than I do thanks for all your uh, comments on last week's podcast with Fern Cotton here are those comments some of them anyhow like Let the kids be kids said Loving listening to your views on well-being in young children via Rusty Rockets podcast. Hashtag love. Hashtag compassion. Essential in the schools for our kids to really thrive. So that's something we need to consider, isn't it? An overhaul of the education system. Not that I don't love teachers. I bloody well do love teachers. Loved them even when I was at school. I don't think I was um, Miss Hennebury. I really liked her. And Mr Hill who got me into acting. Anyway, Renee says this is how I start most Saturdays coffee, RB's podcast and a nice long walk to my 12 step recovery group, Renee thank you what a brilliant way to start any Saturday, love in their tummy says we love Fern Cotton, we find her super relatable, down to earth practical yet super creative, I love all her projects from cookbooks, best out there, to kids books to bags, really enjoy listening to you both discuss things yeah I love Fern, she's a very real emotionally present kind an intelligent person. Ran Ambaran says, I listened from the Harbour Bridge in Sydney. So beautiful. God, that gives me... I'm thrilled to hear that. Someone was just on... Where are you? I know this is a sort of a very common thing, isn't it, in podcasts. Tell us where you listen to it. But I do like hearing that. You're on Sydney Harbour Bridge. Are you listening to it in a prison? Are you all right? you're getting enough books and that you're being looked after are you looking at it listening to it in a shanty town where are you or maybe you're in a palace where are you tell me where you are i I mean i just want to know where you are and that you're basically all right melon Wright yoga goes listening to this now (laughs) That's interesting thing to say because you can't be anymore, although this can change, can't it? You're listening to this now. Adore Fern's honesty and openness. Love her discussion of how she feels and deals with external and internal judgments. I think all humans can relate to what a sweetheart says. Melon, right, yoga. InstaLucy lucy 55 cheered me up at work this morning love your podcast so basically that's just some people saying very positive things one of whom was on a bridge in sydney if you can imagine such a thing um, remember my book mentors how to help and be helped out now go and get it at russellbrand.com or go to your local bookshop using whatever means of perambulation or motivation or mobilization that you have and go there or go on amazon I don't if do you know what? If you have to make a call, I'd rather you got it from your local bookshop. Because well, I think it's nice. I went in my local bookshop the other day. And the woman went, I noticed you promoted uh, Amazon. What about us, local bookshops? And I went, well, actually, funny you say that. Because in the last podcast, I did say go in your local bookshop. And now here I am saying it again. And really hammering the point home. That it's good to support local business. The Problem is, is that Amazon is bloody convenient, isn't it? I mean, you can just have what you want. It's like some sort of mad paradise. There won't be def- definitely won't be any consequences to that. Fairy tales, folklore, and religion aren't laden with messages about the problems with apparently consequence-free consuming. Uh, check out the YouTube channel for more spiritual videos and clips from the podcast. Yeah, do, do have a listen to that or look at it. Use whatever sense you know, you can smell it if you want. And look at the Netflix special. But listen, let's get into John Ronson now. I've taken up enough of your time. I know most people fast forward for, I fast forward through for intros, to you? When you listen to the podcast, 30, 30, 30, till it's gone. Ain't there no advert? I can't I be advertising something? Fruit and veg, let's try and eat more you know you're not eating enough don't you oh i should eat more fruit and veg well do then get a bit of fruit or a bit of veg and eat it and drink more water you're not drinking enough water and don't use plastic bottles and try and be kind to one person every day and see what it feels like and be kind to yourself stop thinking negative things about yourself you're all right there's nothing wrong with you you're okay You've just downloaded some bad programming, not this programming, this is good programming you've downloaded, and subscribe to it, by the way, on whatever format or platform you receive it from. But now let's get into the evocative, charming, lucid, and intriguing John Ronson on Under the Skin. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not a successful route. Yes, that's exactly right
1: this era
0: where it turns
1: out we were never the boss. It doesn't
0: look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told. And welcome to Russell Brand. Under the Skin. John Ronson, thank you for coming on Under the Skin. I'm really grateful to speak with you.
1: Russell, I'm so happy to be here and thank you for having me.
0: You're, uh, an in a sense... Uh, I um, I know you're an investigative journalist. That's what you are, and uh, you write films. But I feel like uh, you're very good on zeitgeist and very good witness to a lot of extraordinary sort of the information that travels from being cult interest to mainstream interest, and often subjects that have become defining. I'm thinking like of your first book. Them, um, and and currently, your your what's your latest podcast? You're talking about Uh, pornography.
1: Yeah, the Butterfly Effect and the Last Days of August. So they're two separate stories, but both set in the world of pornography.
0: Because I'm familiar with Butterfly Effect, and but Last Days of August, that just coming out now, is it?
1: I basically, yeah, it came out like a couple of weeks ago. um Right now, it's just behind the Audible paywall, but in a couple of months, it will be out for all Ah. to for all to have on every podcast platform except for some reason spotify don't seem interested in me i I, interested in me i tend to get they i tend to like not make it to spotify
0: regardless of what corporate (laughs) partnerships you've made it's not is is it you in particular i I have no idea on here on spotify i have not it's a mystery it it might be just about audible john it could be it could be unless it's Um, other stuff as well yeah
1: but so the last days of august is a much sadder and darker story than the butterfly effect so the butterfly effect was like an an, an upbeat and very, i think positive story about the porn community as this band of outsiders supporting each other in a very sweet-natured way while you know tech bros far away tech bros decimate their industry um but then the last days of august is much sadder because it's about the death of a porn star and about us trying to figure out why she died
0: I enjoyed um I enjoyed Butterfly Effect because of the boogie night style Bonhomie that seemed to exist among the crew you talked about on uh, something I listened to about the sort of the way that sort of the, the shame in that community was only felt when there was a, an external presence of pushing that shame
1: Yeah there was this extraordinary moment that I witnessed on the set of Stepdaughter Cheerleader Orgy where the um uh, The the stepfathers are all waiting for the stepdaughters to come back from cheerleader practice. This is like the dialogue scene and it's outdoors. Um, And the girls all kind of come up the driveway. And even though we're in in a mansion deep in the San Fernando Valley, which shouldn't have been overlooked, it was overlooked and a bunch of kids were on a nearby hill and they started catcalling the, 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 the porn girls and... And I I noticed, like, it was like Eve in the Garden of Eden meeting the snake. Like, they suddenly became self-conscious. That sort of bubble, that supportive, protective bubble just sort of vanished away. And they they, they started, like, pulling down their sleeves. And it was was a sad thing to see.
0: Was your curiosity in pornography because of the advent of the technology that meant it altered or was it a m- more typical or personal interest in pornography? Uh, it, w-
1: it was mainly the former, but then something else happened, uh, which is that I was at a church school in New Orleans uh, for a different story. It was a story about the Ashley Madison hack. And I met this, I got invited to this kind of confessional where like these kids, these 18, 19 year old kids sit around in a circle and confess their most shameful secrets to each other and one of them was this girl Dakota and her shameful secret was that she watched Pornhub uh, since she was 12 just like every child in the world so I said to her "Um, did you ever get so into it that you would learn their names like oh there's James Dean and she said no I didn't learn their names she said it's like when you kill a deer you don't name it because then you can't eat it yeah and I thought that what an extraordinary thing to say. I mean, she was being very self-aware, but what she was basically saying was that I am I cannot be curious about the lives of these people that I am jerking off to, because if I become curious about them, it's going to make me feel bad about myself. Uh, and for me, that was the starting point.
0: So, and for me, what that suggests is like that she's aware of objectification mm. being sort of morally dubious
1: yeah she was completely aware so she was very smart Yeah, really smart yeah um and
0: sort of had the perfect uh, analogy
1: absolutely it's not an analogy i would ever come up with because i've never killed a deer yeah, deer. if
0: I killed a deer, the next week would be so fraught. with. Oh, my God, that deer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I couldn't carry that. I uh, know. But
1: exactly. She was
0: very Well, self-aware. at least I didn't name it. You know, I can wear its <laughs> antlers it. now quite happily and devour it. Right.
1: Um, um, so, yeah. So then I started thinking, well, I, I want to do what she can't do, which is be curious about their lives. Uh so then I started like reading blogs. I read a blog written by Stoyer, who's a very famous um, New York-based porn performer. And um, they all started talking about this guy Fabian and how much they hated Fabian. And Fabian is the man who gave the world Pornhub. And that's when my story became a story about the consequences of the tech takeover of the porn industry because... In the world that we live in, not so much now, but, you know, a couple of years ago, I would say most people would say that tech people are reputable and porn people are disreputable. But in this story, you've got these sweet natured porn people whose stuff is being like pirated and stolen. And Fabian uh, got so rich that he ended up with an aquarium that had its own diver. He had his own diver. That's how rich he that's got from porn. a
0: beautiful of. emblem of wealth to yeah. an aquarium that's got a guy that works in it. <laughs> yeah, I know.
1: And yet the porn people, of course, you know, go to escorting and this giant flow of money from an entire community into Fabian's pocket.
0: It's a really interesting uh, method for looking at morals and what we value and what we condemn and what we judge
1: absolutely exactly what we deem reputable and what we deem disreputable and you 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 find that all over the place right i mean you know in my public shaming book the world considered justine sacco the aids tweet woman to be disreputable but then when you look into her story you realize that story is completely different to the way that the world had perceived it at the time
0: so. It seems that often that there is a sort of a latent will that needs to just one coordinate to hang itself on. Yeah. And it's easier, I suppose, to sort of, like, you know, if we're sort of talking about pornography because it's so long been contentious, because sex brings up such sort of complex feelings and is innately animal in some sense, it's so easy to connect it to shame. And, and then, but I'm curious about... Um, how uh, sort of domestic and charming you found the cultures that are, are grown from it. W- yeah. You weren't surprised by that? or were you?
1: I, I found the porn world, like, it was very... Um, certainly when I was making The Butterfly Effect, I mean, everything changed when I made The Last Days of August because that's so darker and right, sadder it's and so and on. bleak and
0: nasty. Yeah,
1: exactly. But with The Butterfly Effect, yeah, visiting a porn set felt a little bit like being in, like, like an off-Broadway show. Like the porn thank you. The the porn um just like just like young actors, porn people are uh creative but and you know, smart and outsiders, the kind of people that we like, right? And yes. and um so being there felt very familial and it, particularly because I was embedded me and my producer Lena Masitsis we were embedded with this porn director called Mike Quasar who's very like ethical like would, would never tolerate any kind of exploitation or anybody being forced to do anything they don't want to do I mean Mike Mike Quasar basically shoots porn constantly because a porner he has to like shoot porn all the time just just to make enough money to live and and so as a consequence he just Hates it. Like, he, can you imagine, like, if all you're doing
0: all day, every day is filming people like have that sex? Like apocryphal, you'll smoke all those cigarettes <laughs> and then <laughs> right. you'll learn. Exactly. Oh, God, not <laughs> another phallus centering of over. He's just absolutely weary of, of yeah. erotica. He
1: said to me at one point, uh, he said, oh, you know, my life is spent framing ball sacks out of shot. And I was like, like, why? And he said, well, it's considered, it's deemed. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there are <laughs> the protocols. Yeah, the, balls, <laughs>
1: the scrotum should not be in charge. I, I had no idea. I but. not
0: particularly noticed that. I yeah. stopped looking at pornography. Um, This is a thing I've been thinking about lately, John Ronson, that spirituality or morality, if you are secularly minded, is something for yourself, not something... F- for others so like I try to like my spirituality is I don't think that I should speak ill of others or I should do things that are hurtful to other people or you know now as I'm bringing up watch pornography as opposed to you shouldn't do this you shouldn't do that and that way it keeps me out of conflict and also from being bloody judgmental yeah but that seems to be the reverse of how morality and spirituality works culturally at this sort of deeply polemical time well i
1: feel as i mean i've always felt this way but i feel this way more than ever that because we live in such a deeply polemical time it's it's certainly my duty as a teller of stories uh to 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 throw ideology and judgment out the window because if if you go into a situation in a judgmental way then there's no space in your brain to be curious so you just chuck all of that out the way and then that gives you the opportunity to be curious and more empathetic than you might otherwise have been and and also it means a story can go wherever it goes because you're not you're not prejudging it
0: yeah, I feel like I've been, that's one aspect of your work that I've always enjoyed and been influenced with is your willingness to be surprised. And I suppose I wondered, you know, like, gosh, perhaps it's an indication of my own scepticism if like this sort of not late on in your career, you're far into your career that you haven't become more aware mm. of that sort of uh ingenue, a broad sort of approach, because like when I say some of your, I'm not sure if they're in the same books I've read most of your stuff. The like that guy that was the alpha. Priest or Alpha preacher, yeah, I like really enjoyed how that was written. I thought that was a really beautiful tone and very sort of open to the experience, and there there wasn't a a, a lack of judgment that meant that I was felt like I was included. Though I seem to remember towards the end, I remember thinking, oh, maybe Alpha is not so great. Well,
1: that's because they send so Alpha. You know, it's it it comes. It seems like a lovely like dinner party in a nice church where everybody's like, there's no judgment, there's no pressure. Everybody just sits around and chats and has cheese, and everyone's now and kind of middle class and then and then they take you all to Kidderminster and then <laughs> <laughs> and then force you to speak in tongues what the, what's going on <laughs> now why are we in Kidderminster yeah, we're speaking we're in Kidderminster and they want us to speak in a language that doesn't exist it's so the perfect
0: so. gateway town name to get right. you into speaking a Kidderminster <laughs> Kidderminster Kidderminster <laughs> right. Kidderminster it's like inviting you to, to start disregarding form right. and language but like um, I suppose in a way like a, so, like if you're dealing with the unknowable and the unknown there's going to be sort of conventions and mm. peculiar tropes to it but you figure there was a disingenuousness to the early, hey we're just hanging out in a church. It
1: certainly came as a surprise I mean they certainly hid, <laughs> they certainly didn't say like I know you're having cheese and grapes now but in a couple of weeks time you're going to be in a scout hut in Kidderminster and you're going to be strongly pressured to speak in tongues <laughs> <dance." laughs> <laughs> they didn't mention that and I and so when the moment happened, I um, everyone was supposed to close their eyes. So I had to make a decision. Like do I close my eyes and actually see whether the spirit will 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 fill me and I will speak in tongues? Or will I open my eyes and be a reporter? Or to go with Well, after a couple of seconds it seemed pretty clear that the spirit had chosen to bypass me.
0: Mm. Um, you give it a few seconds, the old spirit. Yeah, gave it <laughs> a couple right, of seconds. I thought, like, she, document this. Yeah, because the
1: spirit doesn't need like surely like that much time.
0: Shouldn't need any. Yeah. If, it's, if it's beyond <laughs> time and beyond matter and encompasses all reality and all consciousness, <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't go. Oh, oh come yeah. in! If you'd have waited a bit longer, <laughs> exactly. The spirit
1: doesn't go like, come um, in. Woo! Yeah, I'll be there.
0: I, just hang on.
1: So, so I opened my eyes, and then people came over to me and said, you know, why, you, why have you opened your eyes? And then I left uh, the room, and there was probably twenty or thirty people outside. There was maybe like one hundred and fifty people inside speaking in tongues, or at least trying wow. to, yeah, or at least trying to. And then there was about twenty or thirty people outside feeling furious, like like we we didn't know that it was going to end up like this.
0: Hey, a lot of your do I wonder do a lot of your subjects when it's you know when it's not so diffuse as the porn industry when it's more focused on a character like who was it the um, far extremist Muslim leader? Oh, Omar uh, Bakri Muhammad. Omar Bakri Muhammad or Alex Jones? Do they have like do they retrospectively go? John, well, we were hanging out, mate. <laughs> <laughs> like, is there a bit of a sense of that with like your subjects? Uh, not Alex, because he like he's not bothered. Yeah, well,
1: he was a bit annoyed. I think Alex was a bit annoyed with them, but then when I wrote the Manisteric goats, um, he really liked that because that sort of played into the things he believes that that you know there's a cabal uh, uh, of people who were kind of you know doing all of this weird shit in positions of power. So so Alex kind of, you know, sort of re liked me again after I wrote the of goats. And all of this was before, by the way, that Alex, you know, sort of descended into the into the into the I I would say less pleasant Alex than the Alex that I knew.
0: There was a point like I went on InfoWars. There was a point where I sort of thought, Oh, this guy's just like anti establishment. He seems mm. cool. What year did you go on InfoWars? It was a like maybe it was Two thousand seven, right. eight, or something. It feels like he was sort of super successful, but I had no—I mean, this is probably my own ignorance, but like I didn't think, oh, he seems like he might be a bit on the right. This chap, you know, yeah. it just seemed like he didn't trust government. Everything. There was never a point where I thought, yeah, I just know you know, he didn't say anything about race or exactly.
1: Anything. Yeah, no, exactly. And I've checked this with kind of people who've worked with Alex for years because I would say to them about that area about the late 90s through to, I guess, like like 2011, 2012, something, I'd, I'd say, I don't remember Alex ever going on about race or, you know, Islamophobia. And it made me wonder whether the pact between Alex and Trump I mean, this is just guesswork on Good my part. Bit of
0: guesswork, though. You love a story, don't I you? I do yeah. like
1: it, but I, I do want to say this is literally a theory, as opposed to. Yeah. Uh, is that maybe Alex gives gives Trump the the kind of mandate to be more conspiratorial, and Trump gives Alex the mandate to be more kind of xenophobic?
0: I'm very really curious because I think after trump was elected the fact that he there must have been some collateral between them that he would go on because i feel mm. like he went on and went thanks alex for everything didn't he and- he did and i it
1: shows that i shouldn't be a political strategist because when like i learned that roger stone was was basically bringing alex and trump together i thought well this is this is going to be a terrible mistake <laughs> like because you know for every alex jones fan that's attracted, you know, decides to vote for Trump, there's surely going to be like 10 mainstream Republicans who think, whoa, fucking hell, I'm not going to vote for somebody who, who, you know, buddies up with somebody as crazy as Alex Jones. Um, but it, but that didn't happen. Uh, and, and in fact, I'm pretty sure that Trump's alignment with Alex contributed to him winning the election. It was
0: beneficial. It gave him, because uh, I suppose in retrospect, that the... the I am the outsider candidate, the swamp drainer, the person that's going to bring down this establishment Mm. on your behalf. Yeah. Yeah. In retrospect, an alliance with Alex Jones seems to kind of make
1: sense. Well, it did make sense. I mean, it worked. Um, uh, Alex, because Alex is, you know, Infowars viewers. Again, this is a guess, but I think I'm probably right. I would imagine that most Infowars viewers aren't traditional voters. 'Cause they right. don't trust the you know, consistent. they don't trust the government, yeah. Um so if Alex says to his, you know, let's say four million fans vote for Trump, that could be enough to swing the There's election.
0: Access to a whole sort of Arctic oil fields yeah. that were previously inaccessible, <laughs> yes. unaccessed.
1: And that was Roger Stone's brilliance. I think he figured that out. And um and they were right, and I was wrong.
0: I watched Steve Bannon at the Oxford Union online I didn't go. <laughs> well Steve Bannon's on. <laughs> um <laughs> But I was astonished how long I watched could watch it for without going without any uh flags or warning sign or alarm bells. Just like going, right, this is what happened at the financial collapse. This is how the previous government responded to it. This is what's gonna to happen to you economically. This is the way the Synods were like oh, yeah that makes sense that makes sense. He never ever says anything like, and it's the fault of this group of people or that group of people or these people should be punished or that people be punished. Like, so, mm. like, I've sometimes queried the lessons that have been learned and the attitude towards uh, Brexit and the people that presumably voted for it and, that you know, Trump and the same... In that it seems to be still a fixation on the kind of that it's sort of just wrong, an anomaly, and a kind of lack of willingness to examine what the conditions were that led to it in an open way, and to take some responsibility for. Do you
1: uh, think yeah, about that? I, I I agree with you. Um, I, well, I have mixed feelings. I mean, I agree with you, but and tell me if I've mis misunderstood your 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 thought. Um so i think in truth the fact that the for want of a better phrase kind of hard left this kind of you know identity politics left became sort of pretty fucking uncompromising um in in the run up you know in the, in in the few years before trump was elected probably contributed to trump's election but at the same time you know, I, I think we all sort of polluted the waters and then Trump emerged from them like a sort of mutant fish. But at the same time, I don't think it's right to... I don't think it's necessarily right to sort of focus too much on that now that Trump
0: is president. So We think that now we have got bigger mutant fish to fry. Bigger mutant
1: fish to fry. Exactly. Yes. So I think it is true that lots of things happened. That You know, the, the media was to blame him in mean, that famous moment when they cut away, CNN and a bunch of other stations cut away from a Hillary speech to the empty podium from which Trump would eventually speak. And I watched that happen live when I was at the gym and I thought, fucking hell, this is a warning sign. Like, we're more interested in the podium from which Trump will soon speak than an actual Hillary speech. And then you have, like, the, you know, the sort of brutality of the... You know, public shaming campaigns that I wrote about, and so you've been publicly shamed. Those things did contribute to Trump winning, but as I say, I don't think you should go. I don't think we should worry about to worry about that too much because we've got we have bigger fish to fry. Um,
0: except, I don't feel that we can deal with the problem without acknowledging the conditions. That led to it in terms of a yes looking for a solution. I feel like that a sort of a lot of ethical ground was conceded that's not been acknowledged. I mean, to, in a way, and like I'm not claiming to be a, a, an expert on Slavoj Žižek, this yeah. is just a passing quote. Uh-huh. I met him once, I'd like to uh-huh. meet him. <laughs> 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 I what was it like that?
1: It was like that. Um, we shared a stage. We were, we were on at the Sydney Opera House together. So cool. We, and we shared a stage. And I said something that annoyed him. Go on. I can't remember. So that's a bad story. Oh. But I remember off stage, he got a little annoyed with me. He for, for seems to me like
0: he's somebody who could get annoyed. Mm-hmm. And like, just stay in his... <laughs> that the, 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 the dark pinnacle of his intellect For a while I'm not just going, I don't want to ban out I'm not bothered mate well, I feel yeah. like Zujet will be like that I saw a documentary and he keeps his pants and socks In the knife and fork drawer in his house <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've never really got beyond that
1: Yeah. And by the way, and what you're saying is, is true that To uh, you know uh, those who do not remember history Are condemned to repeat it And in fact, I noticed just the other day When the government shutdown ended in America They did exactly the same thing CNN, it was Wolf Blitzer and nancy pelosi was giving her speech and they cut so frantically away from it for when trump started his speech Mm. and it was just i I just thought god that that's a that's a dark echo of what was happening in 2016.
0: do you think like simply it's that in spite of the posturing around liberal positions actually what they care about is entertainment and possibly there are aspects of liberalism itself that is opposed that's not underwritten by any deep concern for some of the issues that mm. are spoken about. This is something I've talked to, I know we're both friends with and admirers of Adam Curtis and this is something that comes up a lot with him.
1: Yeah, yes and, and I, you know Adam's right, I mean it's true Um they and Trump says it himself, and it's true. Like the the ratings are going through the through the roof because of him. Uh, and we, you know, MSNBC may 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 you know hate him, but they're really benefiting from him.
0: I am curious about the psychological forces that are underpinning this. In a sense of like, all culture, all politics is passing through the consciousness of human beings. It's mm. created by us. It's a response to our feelings. And I sometimes wonder w- what bigger trends are at work. It seems to me that the process by which you, you know, might, you know, I'm just guessing that like it might just be your bloody curiosity. But yeah. it just see, it seems to me that you're looking for stories that allude to bigger ideas there was a time when you were very in it seemed to me very interested in meaning and stories that were outside of the mainstreams and 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 i but the, your choice now to do it uh, like you know this fact that you're telling stories about pornography is, I suppose it's a good way of talking about sort of ethics and and, and yes. curious places where you find different types of you know like the morality of the man that's making the porn is sort of like you say is a straight up guy
1: exactly and then the hypocrisy of the outsiders who consume porn but at the same time you know don't want to know and it's that hypocrisy that then allows a beast to flourish
0: and, the, and, this, and your recent brilliant book about like the shaming like that like I suppose is that because we are starting to understand the true necessarily the true but an aspect of social media culture and like because what is the gravity of that if it starts off as something that we're all sort of friendly and it's kind of cosy I remember a friend of mine saying God, it started off like it was like if it was a physical space if it was a nice pub that you went there and then you went there one day and it was full of assholes <laughs> being horrible to so you just would stop going to that yeah. pub Exactly.
1: I remember at the time, a couple of people, um, Graham Linehan and Rebecca Watson, uh, who's an American podcaster, um, they both said to me, God, there's this this new thing that you've got to join. It's called Twitter. It's like people are so nice to each other on it. It's like the rest of the internet may be like a kind of, you know, like... I remember Graham Linehan said to me, like, if the the rest of the internet is black magic, Twitter is white magic. Meaning, you know, it's a place for people to be unselfconscious and to... Um, you know, share their shameful secrets. And then, of course, that mutated into the hunt being on for shameful secrets. It's very, you know, it's very Animal Farm, the way that the, the utopia became dystopian.
0: What do you, having done the work that you've done and the sort of studies of popular cases that you have undertaken, what do you think it indicates?
1: Well, I, I think we, fe- I mean, I, I think we, the problem is that we fell in love with our new weapon too much so it became a place where people could be very unselfconscious level playing field ethical it was a utopia and then when somebody transgressed on the outside like if some terrible daily mail columnist wrote something awful we could hit them with a weapon that we understood and they didn't which was a social media shaming and so we suddenly found that we had power voiceless people had a voice and powerless people had power and it felt great so we would attack I remember the LA Fitness, the gym, refused to cancel the membership of a heavily pregnant woman. So we just went for them and they immediately cancelled their membership. And that just kept happening all the time. But then what happened was that we fell in love with her. We fell in love with our new power too much. and a, and a day without a shaming felt like a day kind of treading water. And so we so the parameters of what we considered shameworthy grew wider and wider. And it was no longer actual bad things. <laughs> it was just somebody said something that came out slightly wrong. and and then, as a result of that, what happened and what is still happening is that instead of seeing humans the way that we ought to, which is a complicated mess of positive and negative character traits, uh, it's a stage for constant artificial high drama where everybody's either like a hero or a villain. And Brilliant. Yeah. yeah so, that is what
0: it is. Yeah. So the appetite exceeded its function. Initially, there was like, hey, we can use this now to stop people being... But that eventually went, no, we like doing this. And that is if you weren't to, if you were aware of that story and you were to enter into a social media space now, what you experience is bloody hell. What's this mad appetite to do something? And, you can, and that's the sort of... As an organism, that's how it's evolved in that direction from the yes. beginning. Of oh, this is good; we can do this, and now it's like yeah, but let's we'll friendedly do it. But that in itself doesn't. What does that imply?
1: <sighs> I think it implies. You know what it implies? It implies that we also come to psychological biases because we, when we shame somebody, we're doing the thing that we are most terrified would happen to us. Ooh, that's awful. Yeah, and we, and also we know. We know that people are a complicated mix. I mean, other than, you know, high-scoring psychopaths or unbelievably heroic people, most people aren't either of those extremes. Most people are are a complicated grey area. So we know that, but we have to pretend to ourselves that that isn't the case but you know that's the only way we can we can feel okay about destroying somebody on a tiny sliver of evidence
0: it does seem as well like you say a pretense like a kind of pose like a kind of dance like a kind of willful no there is no complexity people like and do you think there's something about that space that affords us the that, or uh, exacerbates this tendency to make these kind of judgments that it's a it, we're dealing with human beings but in a, a, a an essentially inhuman way because none of the cues and connections that we are designed to have are present in these like I think if I was dealing with the lady that like wrote the AIDS tweet and then found she'd lost a job at the end of it I feel like I might have gone oh what did you oh, if we were face to face in a little group mm-hmm. I, I, we'd probably all work that out yes among yeah, ourselves exactly
1: Exactly, I think, um, sorry, yeah, I looked down and saw that I've been nervously um, pulling apart your... Do you
0: want to throw it away? Do you yeah. want to put it in a bigger tissue yes, that can I contain will. it?
1: Yes, My trousers are now covered in bits of tissue.
0: Do you do, you, do, you do that unconsciously?
1: Yeah, I definitely have a nervous disposition. Uh, you know, when I finished the last days of August, uh, which is, you know, this incredibly hard...
0: Should we take that one off you so you don't do it again, John? Okay, what I'll John's doing there. is tearing... Little tissues up, like yeah. the most sort of adorable <laughs> man <laughs> and peering at the world with his brilliant, observant mind, <laughs> and in the process, sort of making a nest of tissues. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely have an have a, a, anxious side to me. It's weird because you don't always seem like that. I mean, I know because, mm. as I keep saying, I've read a lot of your stuff and watched a lot of your stuff. So I know, like, you know, I've always, I'm sure I've mentioned it to you before, was taken by the, when you wrote about Richard Bandler and McKenna, mm. who like, you know, I, I know Paul and I'm fascinated by him. I've watched Richard Bandler once and I think NLP and anything that sort of treats the mind in such a rudimentary and mechanical way, I'm fascinated by that. And yeah. the fact that they were able, with this neuro-linguistic programming, Tell what will you tell the story
1: well you mean the way that they helped me the way they helped you yes. yeah um I, I used to have a pathological terror of if i if i was in america and i couldn't get my wife on the phone um i would immediately be, com- be convinced that she was dead and i would experience all the emotions of you know grieving <laughs> um and uh one time before Cell phones. This is how long ago this was. I was oh, actually when I was writing them, and and I was in Washington D.C. to meet Big Jim Tucker, who was going to help me infiltrate the Bilderberg Group. I uh, couldn't get my wife on the phone. I was I was at this hotel in D.C. for one night, and I phoned and phoned and phoned, and, phoned and I phoned like the police and I phoned the uh, neighbors. And the next morning, when I checked out of the hotel, my phone bill came to nine hundred dollars. For, for, for one night of panic That was the That was the numerical Value of my anxiety That $900 night $900 yeah. of panic So when I Got to meet. It'd people. have been cheaper for you to have Flood done back. loads of
0: drugs, <laughs> yeah. or flown back. Yeah,
1: or <laughs> got, I got, I got someone to go around, <laughs> which I did eventually, and I'd been you, a power cut. You
0: could have got a local celebrity right. to get well, around I, for nine hundred. Actually, funnily enough, I got Lionel Blair. <laughs> I, I
1: sort of did get a local celebrity. I got Ian Katz,
0: who's now the head of
1: Channel, Channel 4. Four and yeah, formerly I, of Newsnight. Yeah, I got him to go around to check on my
0: wife. Would you go and check? <laughs> Um, but, Did he produce that? Well, yeah, she's there and she's pretty pissed off and she says, stop fucking calling. <laughs> stop panicking, you madman. <laughs> it's weird. So that's you. Like, So you had, a, had that. mad, mad anxiety, and panic about it, which obviously anyone that's got family or loves anyone recognizes and identifies with. And I feel like I myself, am like, there's some sort of membrane of protocol that holds me back. Like, because for, personally, I suppose when I, I love my little girls so much that that, that love is, can become a unmanageable and yeah. like if i can't express it in nurture then i'll like oh, jesus christ i'll find some other way of expressing it through fear or something yeah
1: well yes absolutely i i would have a mental picture of um the phone ringing my son would have been about two or three at the time phone ringing elaine is lying dead at the bottom of the stairs with a broken neck so she's obviously fallen down the stairs the kettle is boiling and Joel is reaching up to grab the flex. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you better get on the phone quickly before uh, he f- tugs the flex.
1: So what Paul McKenna did was he, I mean, he hypnotised me. And obviously I was very lucky to to be with a hypnotist who's that good at hypnotising people. Um, and he did this thing called the swish technique, which is, he got me to think of that mental image. It was either that one or another one, my son being hit by a car or something and swish it away so you turn it the theory is that that it that it exists in a physical space that that image and what you need to do is grab the image turn it from color into sepia or black and white um maybe add some sort of slapstick music like you get in a long hardy thing and then swish it away just chuck it away and and it worked and I no longer have that fear of of, of dying anymore.
0: So, uh, given that the method works, we can it entirely assume. But it seems like the theory might be right that it you know, and even just according to n- n- neuroscience, as. I understand at the moment that there would be a physical component, so it would exist in a physical, it would neurologically or energetically or electronically that thought matrix, that image exists somewhere in the constellation of your consciousness, and that worked. I am thinking about it now. That seems to me to be like the shadow side of your sensitivity and imagination, your will, your investigative sensitivity yes. is has fear in it
1: and and in fact something happened at the beginning of january that's never happened to me before I, and the reason why i'm going to say it's because I'm, I'm i'm about to go on tour i'm doing this big theater tour in may where i'm talking about the butterfly effect in the last in that, days of august, in england in england and and ireland cool and scotland wicked and, and wales fuck
0: all of these all british at- isles and the islands around it yeah
1: and i've always been thinking so it's about the butterfly effect in the last days of august but I've been thinking about how to write about this thing That I'm about to tell you Which I is know. that after the show finished The last days of August I kind of had a bit of a breakdown I I, I developed um, panic I started getting panic attacks um, I was diagnosed with something called Adjustment disorder Which uh, I, I wish had a more exciting sounding name like If you're going to get a disorder You don't want it sounds like <laughs>
0: It's very, very serious. It's called adjustment disorder. Exactly. Minor. How do we solve it? Well, we just adjust your back. We'll be fine in a couple of days. That's that's
1: it. That's the fact of it. That is exactly what adjustment disorder is. Another word for it is, um, another term is situational depression, which basically means, unlike people who have, you know, clinical chronic depression, when you change your circumstances, it goes away so thank god i feel very lucky that i got to experience depression as a visitor as opposed to a resident what did it uh, do to you i i it i was i couldn't stop crying i, I felt like um i felt like i was at the edge like i was hanging on to the edge of a cliff and i had to do everything i could to to not fall off the cliff
0: what would falling off mean
1: um i i, I never thought about like self harm mm. But I did think maybe I'll never get better. Yeah. Um, so I did everything that I'm supposed to do. Like I, I didn't read, this was just after the last days of August. Uh, was It was about to come out. It's coincided with the release of the last days of August. Uh, so I didn't read any of the reviews, I stayed offline. Um, I didn't do anything that would cause me stress. I didn't work. I, I, <sighs> every day I went to the uh, I went to the Met Museum um, on Central Park East and just wandered aimlessly around the different rooms. Just found myself in the Van Gogh room, Van Gogh room, and found myself in you know ancient Korea. And I went to CBT every day, and um, I, and, and got better. What I, did you learn? <sighs> um. Well, I mean, practically speaking, I just learned to listen. Well, okay, I learned. You know, my big thing that I learned that that time is that ruminating is like cancer. Um, that that was my big lesson. Like, like, eradicate ruminating from your life.
0: It's hard to do that, isn't it? To stop worrying. Yeah. Uh, someone said to me, "Worrying is praying for what you don't want." Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's circular thinking over and over and over again. I'd let out little noises. I'd be out with my dog, uh, one of my dogs, and I'd let out little shrieks <laughs> like, like, like that. And That's like we're
0: going into proper mental illness territory, isn't it? Once it starts, like, you can't hold it down. Yeah,
1: yeah. but so thank God it was a disorder that that's very easy to, to get rid of.
0: John, help me with this, because I get the idea that you're sort of uh, sort of basically... Uh, you know secular atheist sort of person Uh, the rubric through which i have found myself receiving and dealing with the complexity of and simplicity of my own reality is a spiritual one Mm. and like and like i know that if you were to approach it sort of neurologically or psychologically they they would talk of some imbalance or the fact that it was situational just means that you were obviously in circumstances that were unsustainable for you and or whatever um but for me like when I've had sort of comparable episodes where I felt like uh, the the thing I've lent into is, is is somewhat spiritual, but it's also literary. In that Dante talks about there is a point in your life, in your middle years, where some shit's going to go down. I'm paraphrasing. So like you know, the, and when that happened to me, like sort of a few years ago, I felt like a kind of death was happening like that uh, like, well, i remember i was speaking to someone that i get advice from and saying i don't want to live where i live anymore i don't want to do what i do for a living anymore i don't want to hang out with the people that I hang out with anymore i could walk away from all of it like reggie Perrin, and fold right. the clothes up on the beach and disappear style and he went this is like he was able thank god to say this is normal for you right. to feel this in fact and, if and you, you c- didn't feel this you'd well, be in trouble
1: and you kind of you kind of did make those changes right yeah
0: I did actually. I sort of. That's what happened. I feel like you know. Like I feel sort of now being 43 and and having had in some ways a, an extreme life prior to fame, during fame. Those kind of. I'm looking back at. Oh, that the there have been these little deaths. There have been these unsustainable ideas. There's been these methods and techniques that I've used. These things that I've believed about myself. And and at points they've become unsustainable. As in, again, this is a Necessarily narrativized, like as any scriptural or spiritual doctrine or philosophical belief would at some point have had to have been that what I've imposed on it and what but also feels to be true is that it's an ongoing revelation of oh that's got to go now that's got to be let go of That it's not um that the, it's n- the whilst it is unpleasant it was kind of was necessary and truthful it's not like I banged my hand and I got a bruise it's more like something in me needed to be realised right
1: well, I certainly experienced that at the beginning of this year, that exactly those thoughts like this is not this. I can't go through this again. Like I, I, And anything in my life that might lead me to go through this again, I've got to eradicate.
0: What was doing it to you? A bit of work?
1: It was it was a bunch of stuff. It was I was working too hard. I worked every day of 2018. Um
0: Trying to get to a deadline for a film or something. Pretty, what was yeah, it? it
1: was a film, and, and the last days of August. I, I it was a screenplay I was writing, and and um, I'm making the last days of August. But that basically meant I had to work 365 days of the, the, the year. And with the last days of August, you'll hear when you, when you hear it, that it's a very ethically um uh, uh, sensitive subject because basically it's about the death of a 23 year old pornster and we, Lena and I, had to figure out like why she died. And I mean, I'm cutting a long story short. But but one thing that we had to do was spend time with her husband, her grieving husband, and kind of you know work with him to try and figure out w- what went wrong. Which he was very game to do, I should say. This wasn't like he was asked you know, he was very happy to do it. But I suddenly found myself in the kind of ethically impossible situation of um, being true to the to why August died, but at the same time having to be very sensitive and empathetic and compassionate to the people around her, even if those people did things that may have inadvertently contributed to her death. Like, I, I, I can't think of a harder story to get right than that And th- that was the main reason for it I think I was just overwhelmed with the, with, with the responsibility of getting that right
0: That does, I mean, yeah That sounds just like a really difficult thing to do you, Yeah Like, So there's some complexity around a death And possibly some blame that needs to be attributed And you're dealing with people that are yeah. responsible for I, and it And
1: I'm somebody who doesn't like to blame people that's the other problem like I, I don't want to turn people into villains you know I want everybody to be I want everybody to, to be able to understand everybody including troubled, damaged people because of course we're all troubled and damaged.
0: Did you start to feel that there might be consequences for some of the people as a result of the podcast?
1: I, I, yeah I was worried that like is this gonna be like setting off a you know a hand grenade? Um,
0: like legally or psychologically, or I, you sort of didn't even know.
1: I never worried legally. I never worried legally. Like I knew that we were being extremely assiduous. Um, it was it was it was the ethics of it I was worried about. I, I would say that thank God, especially because of what I was going through when the show came out, the response has been overwhelmingly highly positive, mm. I, and I think that's partly because. If you're an anxiety sufferer, you're going to listen to your conscience and it's going to be much less likely that you're going to fall into those pitfalls. Yeah,
0: that's a function of the anxiety, I suppose, to keep you in tune with some truth. And then the hope is that that truth is correct rather than a mad, crazy...
1: Yeah, exactly. So 95% of like the reviews and the listener comments and so on have all been like, this isn't a story about you know some salacious yeah
0: murder a grisly objectification of a dead woman exactly woman yeah
1: like no no one's saying that i mean you know almost all the the reviews and feedback are you know this is a really great story about how we're all a mess life is messy people are just trying to live their lives but we make mistakes maybe we should listen to the people around us more instead of emotionally withdrawing so so people are people are responding to us in a very positive way like this is a empathetic morality tale that doesn't have villains in it so thank
0: god you i'm know. glad to hear that i'm yeah. glad to hear that it worked out for you and i'm interested to hear that your solution to it was to stop working to do yeah. gentle activities to get therapy and like so and like so so situational depression which meant you were in a very stressful situation dealing with a stressful subject and complex relationships and
1: I immediately ran I I made a mistake my first therapist I went to I've never been to a therapist in my life until you know January the 2nd I think this started and well it started on on New Year's Eve I was at, at dinner with my wife and I said something and she said you're very hard on yourself aren't you Sorry. Oh. Um, yeah. She said you're very hard on yourself, aren't you? And I said, Yes I am. And that's that's kind of what started it. So the first therapist I went to was um
0: Did let like, your wife give you permission to be who you are in that moment and to feel what you're feeling and also to give you a sort of a bit of more of a loving perspective of yourself. She was great.
1: And and a couple of friends of mine I've got Two really close friends in New York, uh, Maeve Higgins, the comedian, and Mona Chalabi, the data writer, and they were both like brilliant. You know, they'd, they'd come round to make sure I was okay. They, you know, so so it was. You know, my wife and my friends were were so great. Um, so the first therapist I went to turned out to be a Freudian, and I was a fucking nightmare. <laughs> I just I
0: ran screaming from that. Uh, I, Why? Because of like what it was focused on, like childhood sexuality, and yeah,
1: and it's like I don't want to. I want to, I want to fix what's wrong with me. I don't want to have some big psychodrama, like there's something going wrong with my brain and I, I and I want to, I want it to be fixed. Yeah. So Freudian psychotherapy just felt entirely wrong for me. It's and just it, like, here's a story. Yeah. But then when I went to CBT, and obviously I know about CBT anyway, uh, even though I've never had it myself, like loved ones have had it. And so I know all about it. And. uh and that's much better because it's it's like you know you feel the anxiety coming on so how do you do a a little bit like bandler like richard bandler like how do you deal with this in a physical way to 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 stop it from happening you know your brain's a machine and all you need to do it's face cbt and nlp you know do definitely have crossovers and and um
0: so that's what it's about is it cbt because thinking about it now i don't really know yeah. much about it or understand it so it's like it's recognizing the anatomical processes it's happening is it
1: yeah it's basically two things uh, one is it's about logic like if i can't get my wife on the phone i need you need and you think she's dead you then need to get into the habit of well what's more likely is it more likely that she's dead or is it more likely that she's alive so rational people you know, it's just you know I'm a very rational person, and none of this stuff ever interferes with my work. You know, it's just my, you know, my my personal life. So, you, so you just what you're doing is taking the same sort of journalistic rigor to to your mental health that you or, or to your anxieties that you would to a piece of journalism or whatever. Of
0: course, but like that's the one area where objectivity <laughs> is going to be challenging. Well,
1: yes, and, and then the other issue is um the other thing is is exposure. So. If you feel, you know, don't fight the anxiety. Sort of go into it. Do, do, do you know what I mean? I
0: sort of do. So, like, I'm saying with me. I feel maybe anxiety in my tummy, or a little bit of fear in my sort of rising up my heart, and even up the throat. You sort of, inst- you, you sort of, all right. I'm feeling this. What is it? You yeah. Allow so, yourself to feel it. So,
1: yes, just live with it. Um, so, if you're a, you know, if you've got agoraphobia, then it, and you go to CBT. Then they'll say, well, you know, they'll get you to step outside your house for a minute and then go back in. And then the next time it's like a minute and a half or or whatever. So it's exposure. Uh, I mean, in a nutshell, those are the two sort of tenets of CBT. When Um, did
0: you notice that uh, you'd come from feeling immersed in it to being able to feel a little bit safer?
1: It it, almost straight away. um, I mean, the whole experience lasted Two weeks, um, so you know, thank God. I, d- I do feel fortunate that I got to experience these things, but on a temporary basis.
0: Do, yeah, I suppose you, that is a good way of looking at it. Did you yeah. feel, um, did it affect your wife much other than the conversation that you described? And
1: honestly, I think it sort of brought us together some more. I mean, we've been together a long time, yeah, but that. oh, god, I mean, Joel's 20 probably 25 years we've been together. Um it's so uh y- you know sometimes when you've been with somebody that long maybe it takes something like that for you to remember you know how great they are mm you know cuz she really did help me That's very beautiful. Yeah. And uh, you know she couldn't have been she couldn't have been better. I really that's really lovely. Yeah. Thanks and, for telling us that. Yeah, and thank God for friends too. Like cuz I think another mistake I made in 2018 was was I would I, I because I was working so hard I figured, look, I'm only going to get all of this work done if I don't do any socialising. So I, I barely saw any friends in 2018, and that was a mistake too. One thing, I, as an introvert, it really surprised me actually that one thing I really needed when I was sick was to have friends there, like like Maeve coming round. Because um, usually f- friends don't really matter don't really matter that much to me and you know, i'm an introvert i you know i i don't like if there's a party i'm not invited to i don't care um but in that moment i i really needed friends
0: yeah you needed community and connection and i suppose yeah. f- sometimes when i feel um like you know, what my version of what you're describing i suppose i need other people that can hold it that can handle that i'm feeling that way and that are not gonna go, oh my god that sounds bloody dreadful what should yeah. we do they're just like okay you're all right this is going to pass you know like there's people that are sort of familiar with you and familiar somehow with that mm. space and i think a lot john about how and perhaps it's an impossible exercise to even contemplate how many of our problems are because we find ourselves in zoo like conditions uh, even with something as simple as access to community meaningful relationships a manageable number Mm. of relationships not so much awareness that there are so many different ways of looking at life and living life and these people really believe this and these people are really against that it's sort of too much for an individual that's really only designed to have like what i don't know 50 100 relationships <laughs> it's and true to hold all this do you
1: know this show this show called the good place
0: i've heard someone mentioned it the other day actually okay it's
1: really good it's very popular it's like an afterlife show isn't it yeah it's these, it's these four people i won't give away any of the many plot twists but but the starting point is four people find themselves in heaven um and but one of them gets the feeling that there's been a mistake, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's how it starts. But anyway, one of the people, one of the characters, this guy Chiti, has uh, has basically wraps himself up in these ethical dilemmas, and you know can barely function because he's constantly worried about doing the wrong thing morally. And I was kind of watching that, thinking that doesn't seem like a realistic thing you know personality trait without realizing (laughs) exactly what i do who's this
0: character this (laughs)
1: ludicrous
0: cartoon (laughs) (laughs) an investigative journalist that's investigating his own psyche to the point of unraveling it right exactly i suppose right because you didn't like talking again about the sort of the low point of the crisis it's like you were immersed in something that was complex challenging and difficult and you did you had lost your other context of, oh no, I'm also going to just go to the Met or hang out with Maeve. And-
1: yeah, exactly. And so I just fixated um, in a way that went beyond appropriate being aware of the morality of what I was doing. To, yeah. to it circling and circling inside that. my head. Yeah. It
0: was like it sounds to me like a sustained version of the nine hundred phone nine hundred dollar yeah. phone call night because it wasn't ending. There's no need for it to end. When I yeah, when yeah, I cannot take that spiraling fear, and I need to do anything to intervene. And I think that a lot of my problems with chemicals in the past was like shutting it, that off. Yeah, get that out. Yeah, you know, like, I can't sustain that level of self scrutiny and fear and circuitous dreadful serpent devouring its own tail thinking yes
1: oh god it's it's awful if i never have circular thinking again in my life i'll be so happy but at least you know the good thing about going to that dark place is at least you become much more aware of the warning signs before you know before it gets bad and i am like that no i mean every night like last night i uh was lying in bed and i was worrying about something and i could feel my anxiety rising and so i just put cbt into practice and calm down what
0: do you do you watch your breathing and you go into the feeling
1: yeah and and again remember the logic and and just little things like i mean i know this sounds i mean in a way it sounds ridiculous but just thinking if i worry about this now i'm not going to sleep and then tomorrow i'm being interviewed by russell brand and i'm not going to do those interviews well if i don't sleep so, you know, the the, the the logical thing to do is to just not worry about it now and try and sleep. I, yeah. And then I took a Xanax. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that
0: helped. Yeah, certainly if logic doesn't work, yeah. that's where Xanic comes in to pick up any exactly left over.
1: but it did work i you know i slept and i'm perfectly fresh now so so it worked i mean i would say a combination of this of the cbt and the Xanax
0: worked Yeah, certainly it seems like that if you're left without uh techniques to manage those fi- th- those things which to me sort of seem somewhat inevitable that seems to be part of the landscape of my life is that i feel those things those things happen to me and mm. and like you say um, if you can sp- spot it earlier in the process, like, oh, I noticed that I'm doing that. you know, yeah. and, and also I have other forms of therapeutic behaviours belonging to support groups and stuff, which help me not to, like, you know, my context is continually updated. As I remember, it's pretty good that you don't drink and take drugs and that's yeah. good and you're helping other people. And you know, well, like- it
1: feels like you've really got things together when you live in this beautiful place it's and it's not sort of overly grand so it's you know it's a lovely kind of you know i mean it's very beautiful but it's not out of the ordinary and that's sort of perfect right i
0: feel like my journey of uh, like you know is being rejection of ordinariness as a kid and like feeling like oh god it's i'm normal i'm mundane i'm not notable i'm nothing i'm from this ordinary place it's you know to, and wanting to flee it and decorate myself in forms of excess and indulgence and celebration. Yeah, to, and, and kind of grandeur. I feel like, in a sense, it's like a second childhood. I feel like my childhood was a little bit complicated, you know, and it feels like a chance to live, like another go at family, another go at domesticity, discovering actually that what I need is not an elevated or adorned version of reality but actually reality itself you know like it's been incredibly liberating and freeing i've never sort of had a life like it i've never had a life where i feel like oh this is just a normal life the work i do is just some work and it will go well or it won't the thing you said about the practices you have to um you know like to combat the adjustment disorder the drably named yeah. uh, but terrible to experience adjustment yeah. disorder like of like not reading reviews not going on the internet that's sort of standardized in my own life right. just as a kind of extension of don't get caught up in what other people think about you don't like you know th- like i don't do anything because i once i take hold of those threads, mm. I'm not sure where I'll end up. You know, I'm not sure what it will do to me.
1: Right. Well, hopefully it will just keep keep you calm. And, and I, I'm getting to the stage for the first time in my life where I'm thinking, you know, I, I want to wind things down a bit now. I want to have a quieter life. I, I want to be less ambitious. Well, I am already less ambitious, but, you know, I, I want to work less. I want to take days off. Yeah.
0: It's always seemed very organic what you do, like, and I'd never really even thought about it in terms of ambition but I suppose the commitment that you've given and the willingness to give up sort of now I know what it's like to give up being with your kids or whatever and to mm. go off to do like these sort of yeah. documentaries and doc- you know like books that are re- research heavy yeah I that's mean, ambition I suppose I also and drive
1: yeah also for some reason you know so much of my self-esteem was wrapped up in my work Mm. Um, so I'd, I'd say that was a big part of it too well, how's, it, how's that changed? I just think it has changed a bit I, Honestly because I think like I've got a body of work Behind me now I've written a whole mm. bunch of books And movies and you know When I do live shows now Like this tour that's coming up It's not tiny little art centres it's big concert halls So which is, is kind of evidence That people kind of like what I do And so actually I sort of You know I've got to the stage I'm with this thing that happened this month um, I definitely because that's not that long. I forget. That's yeah, the only it, was, about it was a month ago. It was that's... a month ago. Yeah, uh, I'm only. It's February the sixth now. I, it's, it's. Yeah, it's a month ago. I was right in the middle of it.
0: Were you aware of vulnerability leading up to that? Because that's pretty extreme. Even the phone call examples. Yeah, that's
1: yeah, a, that's the, true. M- that's true. That and that's like that was in the nineties. So yes, so yes, so so you're right That would have been panic attacks I would have been in that room, that would have been a panic attack Yeah, right, that's a sort
0: of a sustained Mm. Irrational behaviour That with the introduction of CBT Would have gone, hold on a minute And like you said yourself, be Logical about it Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely right, I I would have had a panic I would have been having a panic attack that night And that will have happened a few times I still get it Not so much anymore with my son, thank God But I used to um, But I think this is normal. I think think any parent would feel this way. Like When they get to the age where they're going out, you know, without you for the first time and they're staying out late. So when I guess like 15, 16, I I would start to get really worried. I would download all the apps that tell you about bad things that are happening in New York City like the kind of police scanner and they because if I couldn't get Joel on the phone I could then check to see whether anybody matching his description was like in hospital or something um, but then as a result I got to know like every bad thing that happened in New York City and you know what happens much more often than you would imagine go on scaffolding falling on people
0: right watch out for <laughs> scaffolding. it yeah. does always say be careful and I always think nah, it's yeah. it's, that's careful, but that's happening yeah that's happening quite a lot. Any other tip bits? stove glint. fires.
1: A lot of stove fires. There's this new app called Citizen that tells you like every every thing that's been reported to the police in your area.
0: Right. Now if you are of a neurotic disposition and listening to this, do not get that <laughs> Don't get stove citizen. fire citizen <laughs> app to furnish, embellish and feed your <laughs> right. ongoing fear. Instead, remember the bit where John was talking about C B T. <laughs> take, take deep breaths. Exactly, it's, it's surprising, I suppose, but perhaps it's the kind of people that I am drawn to rather than any um, truly valid survey. But how frequently people are troubled by yeah. fear and panic and depression and inad- inadequacy. It seems like this the. In a way, why would you not? Like, yeah. you know, why would any of us not? Why would we not be dogged with the, the construction of our identity, the fragility of our lives, the impermanence of everything we love, the the fact that it's only through for good fortune, primarily, that we have the things that we have? It's yeah. going to create some sort of tension.
1: Exactly. And then you couple that with me. You know, it, it, uh, there's also a lot of kind of social anxiety. So I really fixate on, did I say something stupid? I remember a time... Um, I was in Larne in West Wales. You ever been there? It's where no. Dylan where Dylan Thomas comes from. Yeah. Um, anyway, they had a little festival, and um, I was on just after Ray Davis from the Kinks. So I was backstage, and I said, "God, I, I can't believe I'm going on after Ray Davis." Clearly, meaning that's going to be a hard act to follow. Yes, yes. But Ray Davis's partner uh, was there. And and I saw her facial expression and her facial expression was like, what the fuck are you talking about? What are you insulting Ray Davis? And that cascades into my mind <laughs> very frequently. I just hope the fuck she now realised, like she realised that I wasn't saying that. But, you know, there's an Alison Moyer I mean, if
0: you're doing all that, hold on, before we jump uh, into right. Alison right? I mean, if you've been worried about it and you've done all these, like the phone calls, you know, on the mad spiral mm-hmm. night, isn't it worth... Sending a letter, (laughs) (laughs) or saying something at the time. Yeah, I actually just wanted you to know that I like the Kinks and Ray in
1: particular. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, you know what? I did sort of say something at at the time, so I think I kind of yeah, that's been dealt with. Yeah, but um, the Alison Moye story, which haunts me so much, and it's okay for me to say this because she said it to me once when we were on a sponsored walk together. But she also said it, I believe, on Desert Island Discs. She said it publicly, so it's okay for me to say it. She was at an Elvis Costello concert. And she went to the after party and she went up to Alvis Costello, you know, very nervous, to say how much she enjoyed the show. And and he said something like, Oh, so did you have a good time? And she heard herself say, It went on a bit. And then she went home and didn't leave her house for years. Like she became agoraphobic and didn't leave her house for years. And that was the trigger. <gasps>
0: But um, not go out again. I might do that thing where I tell my heroes that they go on a bit. And I know like inexplicably something just sneaks out of my. Yeah, well, but,
1: it's a form of Tourette's, right? I mean, I presume that was right. like a, almost like a Tourette's moment for her, which uh, Tourette's and anxiety are obviously really linked.
0: That makes sense that yeah. there's a sort of an involuntary expulsion of language, and before you know it, yeah. So, John, what stories? Like, so it's good, I think, that you're gonna relax a little bit after mm. your. Concert tour, what is that? Is that that's yeah. in across Britain that's and in Ireland. May. So this year, I want to, I want to try and make things.
1: I'm going to sort of very gently start writing a book and very gently do a little bit of screenwriting work. Just and, gently just yeah. writing
0: a little screenplay. What? Uh, <laughs> what about what are the sort of um, things you interested I, well, I've, in? Well,
1: actually, I've just written one, but I can't. I'm not allowed to say what it, what it is. But I'm about to find out whether or not they're going to make it or not. I hope they will. Funny thing about screenwriting is that you. I mean, you know this from from your experience that any other piece of writing that you do is going to be read by you know if you're unlucky thousands of people if you are lucky hundreds of thousands or millions of people except for a screenplay you you spend like months and months and months writing a screenplay and if it never gets made into a movie it's going to be read by four people and yeah how do you approach that with my eyes open I, I I made this documentary years ago called Stanley Kubrick's Boxes, which is... Yeah, which is I all, saw that. right. Well, when I was... I didn't include this. In fact, I think the guy said it to me off, off camera. But the, the, it was Stanley Kubrick's lawyer, this kind of a grizzled old movie lawyer in St. John's Wood. And I'll never forget, he said to me... Because I said, I said, oh, you know, my book, The Minister at Goats, has been optioned and it might get made into a movie. And he said to me, John, this is what you need to know about movies. He said, no movie ever gets made <laughs> <laughs> that was the end of his sentence so, <laughs> so i um so i do go into that situation with my eyes no, wide open it ever
0: gets made? it's a good approach i suppose you've <laughs>
1: also got to be completely egoless and i would like to ask you about this because in my hollywood experiences i've been involved now in three movies frank oak mm. and uh minister goats um they've been by and large very happy experiences but on on each occasion something happens that would like really dent your ego like and and it may and it does make you realize that that Hollywood I mean people say this but it's true that you have the only way to survive Hollywood is to be egoless
0: yeah, I suppose that's where you get uh, like yeah. because it's ego full initially, and mm. for a while that seems sensible. Because like, and it, perhaps it's just an an, uh, an an amplification of all forms of show business and entertainment. Like Hollywood is so concentrated, and the stakes mm. can be so high. um But uh, what did you sort of find that yourself that in in the movie world? I feel like the end of it was egoless. I feel like it was a kind of ego death. Yeah. (laughs) But like, you know, because of success and then failure or success and not success, however you want to look at it. Like for me, it's sort of like, oh, okay, I can't attach myself to that. And I bet some of those people that really know how to succeed in it, like, say, someone like Tom Hanks or whatever, I bet he's egoless i bet he's a person mm. that can I, I met him once fleetingly and i've never seen anyone radiate such intense sort of essential beauty mm. <laughs> so quickly So yeah i guess that
1: must be it like there are so many different ways you can be humiliated in in, in hollywood like there's so many ways because it's all hierarchical it's yeah. all people trying to you know um boost themselves by bringing down other people i mean all of those cliches are true and I think the only way you can survive it is to is to not care. Like, like, like if you're going to if you're going to enter Hollywood, you have to not care.
0: Most of the people that I really admire, I'm starting to realise are very focused on the actual thing that they're doing and increasingly, it seems, are able to let go of outcomes. And that's always something that I've found difficult. And it's where I'm moving my attention. It's just like, well, just do this thing and don't worry about what's going to happen with it. Just focus on it. And mm-hmm. and also more, I'm trying to think of a purpose of just like, be aware of what your motivations are yes. when you're doing this and how unlikely it is that any external thing is going to validate you. Yes. Like it's You've been through that now a couple of times and you recognize that it's... yeah. Doesn't work
1: Actually I remember when I was writing Frank with Peter Strawn Which is the Michael Fassbender mm. movie about the big man with the big head
0: Yeah no because I I yeah. liked Frank's side bottom anyway right. And like uh-huh. it was sort of a weird quirk that it's so integral to your own life Yeah
1: <laughs> well, Exactly <laughs> So I remember like I was writing the screenplay and you know kind of enjoying it But I remember at one point saying to somebody like Like what's the moment Like what's the moment when when it's all really exciting like the moment isn't the premiere because at the premiere you're just worried about Mm. whether people are going to like it or not it's not being on set because on set it's so it's like being on a construction site you know it's Mm. completely unglamorous um so what's the moment and i realized that the moment was what i thought was the boring part which was sitting at home writing the screenplay that's the moment when you feel at your happiest when you're involved in when you're on your own in a room writing the screenplay
0: your imagination is engaged
1: you're yeah it's fulfilled you know you're you're doing you're hopefully doing the work well it's Mm. that's the moment it's the writing
0: that's a very beautiful thing to recognize about that process. I like how you've been able to occupy the world of writing fiction, the world of writing journalism, longer-form journalism, compendiums, and uh, the, your beautiful body of w- work. Well, if I would just yeah. stopped at beautiful body? <laughs> <laughs> well, your beautiful body, which, well done on those 5K rounds. <laughs> um, is a, I've enjoy your you as witness i enjoy the way that you're present i enjoy the measure of humor that you insert of reflection of doubt of ability to be flexible with your perspective on potentially troubling characters i'd be really interested to see what you do in this next this, phase and i'm fascinated by what you're saying about the last days because it sounds sort of in a way quite sort of scary because i know what yeah. it's done to you
1: i i was so uh, i i've got to say like if it had been poorly received like usually i don't really care like i'm a bit unhappy if something gets a bad review but i don't really care the only time i've really cared in the past is if is if something's been misrepresented so i felt like a couple of reviews of so you've been publicly shamed. Were kind of misrepresenting the book, so that upset me. But by were they large,
0: saying that it was further shaming the bit is that what the misrepresentation? No, there
1: was this piece in Slate that really bugged me. Where, where, um, I mean, this is really getting into the weeds a bit. But there's this one character in the book, Joan Alera, who whose transgressions were more serious right. than the other people in the book. And this piece in Slate basically said you know John Ronson treats Joan O'Laire exactly the same way as he treats the other people in the book which I which I didn't mm. so so that really bugged me but but by and large I don't really care but but with the last days of August because of my sort of vulnerable state I I think it would have like if, if it had been badly reviewed and if people had said it was exploitative you know I I'd hate to think what it would have done to me because I was because I felt like I was holding onto the edge of a cliff. Um, So thank God But you know That is the reason why If you're an anxiety sufferer Part of you should feel pleased Because it does stop you from From transgressing Yes You know You listen to your conscience And then you You avoid the pitfalls
0: Right. There is a a wisdom in fear as long as you don't stay in it on your own without consultation and support and without techniques that Mm. there is something positive, like in the most uh, in aspects of my nature that I've previously rejected, I've gone on to discover uh, like gifts of a sort and certainly at least been able to live with them. And I think that makes sense what you're saying about anxiety. It's a form of awareness. It has a function. It's evolved yeah. for a reason. But it's like now it's its having to exist in conditions where we don't have the structures mm. around it that would yeah. prevent it disappear.
1: And not only that, but we're inventing structures that just make it worse, like Twitter. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: Christ, John. <laughs> thank you. So it's really, really lovely talking to you. Thank you for being so uh, honest and open and vulnerable and beautiful. Well,
1: thank you. I mean, it's partly because I, I want to try and figure out how to write about my, my my two weeks and so talking about it I think is a way of of helping me figure out how to write about it well, so, I'm glad that so there you... was a self there was a kind of selfishness to me talking well, about it it's good that
0: you admit that, that right. even your honesty and vulnerability is kind of <laughs> research right.
1: but I think the other reason is that it's kind of, hell, you know there might be somebody out there listening who themselves are in a period of adjustment disorder and not yeah, realising it be. I'd definitely never heard mean... of it till I was told I had it
0: No, nor do I, although it it sounds kind of like if you lose yourself in a situation that's extremely stressful, it's likely to cause depression.
1: People get it when, if they're fired, people get it if if they're in a war, people get it if they've been divorced. PTSD type. Yeah, I think it's, I'd I'd be interested to know from somebody what what the differences are with PTSD because it it feels a bit like PTSD. Um, And for me... I, I'm pretty certain the, the the main trigger was my worries about, you know, making sure the last days of August was ethically, you know, it, it, correct, and I think that that's what did it with me. Um, but as I say, the, the very positive thing about adjustment disorder, if anybody happens to be going through it right now, is that it really doesn't last long. Like it's horrible in the moment, but but it goes
0: yeah and even i think for other forms of depression like with the similar diligence and treatment and awareness and communication there is a way out of it even if the time frame is different yeah john thanks very much mate I, like audible mm. at the moment is it i've got audible yes
1: the last days of august right now is only available on audible but come april it'll be a podcast do you, you have you to
0: will. buy it additionally on audible or if you've got audible do you get it um because i've got audible in
1: this in britain you get it for, i believe they, they sometimes change the rules right. but in britain <laughs> i believe it's always free if you're an audible member that's me Right, and in America, it was free in January, but in February, it's it's cheap. It's like, is it
0: you reading it yourself, or is it a podcast? What no, it's it? an actual podcast, so you hear oh. it's a it's a it's a kind in of interviews and all of that. Yeah,
1: exactly. Well,
0: so um, I'm a bit nervous, though. I will listen to it, of course, because I know you put so much into it. I'll p- right. Yeah, obviously if it, When you get near to depression it's, it's spooky and resonant
1: Yes Yeah, absolutely It
0: sounds like an important story And I love I, your I, work
1: always Well, thank you I mean, we did it We did it well we, like, like we did Like me and Lena Worked incredibly
0: hard You always work with Lena, eh? Uh,
1: certainly butterfly Effect In last days of August I, I want to find In fact, she's been texting me While we've been talking I, I want to Yeah, she's, I want I, I'm looking I'm hoping that we're going to find something else to work on together because she's great I mean we see the world very much the same way she's very she's brilliant at something that I'm not brilliant at which is finding incredibly hard to find people and then convincing them to talk Ooh. yeah and she's a total genius at that
0: yeah, yeah yeah you need good collaborators and partners if you're going into that world yeah
1: absolutely
0: cheers John Ronson thanks
1: Russell it was really lovely
0: thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed that episode with john ronson remember let me know what you thought of it on instagram you can tag me at true russell brand remember when i was do the trues yep that's right or tweet me at rusty rockets with the hashtag under the skin i regret now that i've used names like true russell brand and at rusty rockets because it diminishes well i don't care do i about popularity do i care i do a bit and I? I don't want to be loathed but we don't really care we just want to be free Be another podcast next week. We've got some interesting things coming up. Um, Some of our future guests include Douglas Rushkoff, fascinating. Brad Evans and Henry Giroux, my God, they're two formidable Titan professors. Darren Brown, Wim Hof. We've got got no more women coming. We have actually, because we don't want to be sexist, do we? Do we? No. We don't want to be anythingist. We're trying to create a culture where people are just loved for their basic humanity. All right, listen. Have a listen to some of the old ones. You could listen to Jack Monroe again. She's brilliant. Megan Jane Crabb, Radhanath Swami. Please subscribe to this podcast, Under the Skin. Share it with people. And uh, think of me. Think of me just before you fall asleep at night. Just let the image of me flash through your mind and remember my new book Mentors How to Help and Be Helped you can get that at russellbrand.com or your local bookshop or on Amazon or you can get the Audible book on well no the audio book on Audible or an Audible book on audio it just depends what kind of person you want to be alright thanks for listening and uh, I hope you continue to enjoy this podcast Under the
1: skin